All right, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be Jeremiah chapter 37 tonight. So as we, uh, as we dive in, I just pretty consistently need to remind everybody, Jeremiah's not a chronological book. The time space between chapter 36 and chapter 37 is about 17 years. So you didn't even notice, there have been two kings since chapter 36. But if you remember, this section of Jeremiah that we're in deal with prophecies that were given to the two kings that were given their authority by another country. Okay, the first one, uh, Jehoiakim, we've been uh, talking about him. He uh, was placed by Egypt. The other, Zedekiah, he was placed by Babylon. So tonight... As we look at chapter 37, it's going to tie together uh, maybe some loose threads. If you've been with us the whole time, so you'll get a, a little bit of an idea how the timeline flows together. But we have in chapter 37 a new king, opposed to, to chapter 36, Zedekiah. New king, same attitude. If you remember last time, the old king, Jeremiah, wrote out the book of Jeremiah, all the prophecies that he had done so far. The scroll was taken before the king, read to the king. You remember what the king did with it? He cut it up and threw it in a fire. So, same attitude, <laughs> just a different name, as Jeremiah continues to bring the message. Now, here's some of the differences that we want to make sure we understand. Jehoiakim's in the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar. So, at the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar's going to conquer Judah three times. So, the, at the beginning of his reign, Jehoiakim, at the end of the reign, Zedekiah. So that's kind of how uh, these things are going to flow. The issue is that no matter who Nebuchadnezzar puts in charge of Judah, Judah won't stop rebelling. And because they won't stop rebelling, the Lord says, look, this is fixed. If you keep fighting, you're going to die. Or you could stop and accept uh, God's judgment. There wasn't a requirement that all the people died, that all the people starved. That was their rebellion against what God was trying to accomplish uh, in the people's lives. And so here we have Jeremiah, the last king now. We're at the last king in chapter 37. <clears throat> and it says, verse 1, Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah, reigned instead of Coniah, Jeconiah the son of Jehoiakim. So you have Zedekiah placed on the throne. It says in 2 Kings 24, 17, the king of Babylon made Matanahu, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place, and changed his name to Zedekiah. This is an important thing for us to understand in the ancient world because when, it, when a, another king changed your name, it meant that he had authority over you. That should remind you of some other biblical concepts, no? Can you think of anybody in the Bible God changed their name? Right? The list actually goes, is fairly long, right? Of the people that God, God changes their name. God changes their name. Which is a way of God saying, you're my vassal. You're, you're, my, you're, you're my person here who is uh, serving me. Which actually is a, a pretty incredible honor. Now the Bible tells in Revelation 
that there's a point when all believers are going to stand before the Lord and he's going to give you a new name. One that only he knows. He's going to, because it's that, it's again that idea, you are mine. Now that was something they understood because that was something that occurred in their world occasionally. If you were conquered, a king would come in, make somebody else the king, say, okay, you're going to be king here from now on. You do what I say, and to show that I have authority over you, I'm going to change your name. And so we see the same thing biblically. And so it says in verse 2, it gives us a description. Well, what's, what's the world like there? In verse 2 it says, but neither he, neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the, uh, of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. So different name, same attitude. Nobody listened. Nobody listened. You know, the first time I really came face to face with this, and I don't, I don't remember how long ago it was, several of us uh, went down to Scottsdale, Arizona, and we went to an end abortion now conference uh, put on by Apologia Church, and uh, we went out to, uh, to uh, a Planned Parenthood out there. There was a bunch of people at the conference, and probably... 250 people went out to this Planned Parenthood, big Planned Parenthood, not a little one, big city. And uh, we went out there, and the calls went out immediately. As soon as we sh showed up, the calls went out immediately, and the, I didn't even know there was such a thing, but the high priestess of the Satanic Temple in Phoenix showed up. They were actually the death scorts. That's what they call them. They're the ones who escort the women into the abortion clinic to, to receive their abortions. And then Antifa showed up. You've seen a lot about them on TV lately, if you watch TV. Antifa was there. Um, a bunch of uh, uh, um, uh, people who were pro-abortion were there. And basically, we lined the whole city block around Planned Parenthood with a believer and, uh, and uh, somebody from one of those other groups. And then another believer and somebody from one of those other groups. And so it was kind of neat because you had an opportunity to talk to them. I thought, well... I don't know that I'm going to accomplish anything good here, but there's somebody standing on each side of me, right? So, so you got to. We stood. We stood out there for, I don't know, a couple of hours. So we have the couple of hours to talk to them. They wouldn't engage at all. Zero. You could pull out your Bible and just start reading the Bible uh, out loud, but there was no engagement. If you tried to talk to them, they would not speak to you at all. They would not engage at all. Tonight I was watching a street preacher in Canada, and he was um, he was he was out preaching preaching the gospel. You may not like street preachers; it doesn't really matter. Their Bible's full of them. Um, and he was out preaching the gospel, and it was interesting because what I liked about this particular guy—I don't know all his theological views or whatever—but what he was doing on the street, he's like, "Look, I'm not preaching to anybody. I just want to share the word of God. I want you to repent." Uh, he wants you to, to believe up upon him. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to start nothing. I just I'm, I'm just preaching to the air. And within, now I know he goes there fairly often, but within a few moments, he was surrounded by people with paint buckets, and they had the paint buckets turned upside down, and they were beating on the paint buckets, and they're screaming, trying to drown out whatever he's trying to say to the people. That was the same thing that I saw all those years ago, probably, I don't know how long ago, three or four years ago, maybe more, when we went to Scottsdale. Same thing. 
they would put loudspeakers on in the parking lot. We weren't allowed in the parking lot. We could only be on the sidewalk. So they would put on loudspeakers, Mein Kampf. You guys heard of that? Hitler wrote that book. Uh, he put on, turned on Mein Kampf in German. So unless you were German, you, you, you couldn't really tell what was going on. But they'd crank it as loud as they could to drown out any of the voices of the, of the believers who had to stay on the sidewalk uh, to try and engage with, with what was going on. They don't, they don't want to hear. Now, it's, it's not everybody, but there's a, there is a, that attitude in Canada is the same attitude we have here. I watched a similar video of a guy at Venice Beach doing the same thing. Just standing on a corner, got a mic and his little thing. There's musicians that sit on the corner of Venice Beach all the time. I don't know, you guys probably have never been there. It's a little wild, Venice Beach. But they go out there, musicians will go out there, and they'll just play. They'll just do their thing, you know. And as they're doing their thing, they're, they're playing and they're singing and, they're, they're, and nobody's offended. If you want to listen, you know what you do? You just come near. If you don't want to listen, you go away. There's nobody around those guys with buckets or loudspeakers trying to drown them out. People just go about their business. That's, that was semi-normal. But this particular guy, he's, he's trying to share the gospel. The crowd's getting agitated. He's not, he's not trying to get in any arguments with anybody. He's just trying to share the gospel that uh, shared a lot from John 3.16, right? That used to be in all the sporting events. I don't know if it still is because I will never watch another sporting event the rest of my life. But... Once upon a time, it wasn't a big deal. So they, uh, uh, they come, the crowd starts to gather around this guy. The police show up, and you think, oh, the police are going to protect him. No, they arrested him. None of the other musicians or anything. Nobody cares about that message. But they want to quiet that one. Jeremiah understood what that was about. Because Jeremiah spent... Some estimate 40 years preaching a message nobody wanted to hear. Nobody wanted to respond. And tonight we'll see some of the attitudes of the community that he was trying to minister to. That he's trying to give them direction on how to have life. The Bible tells that narrow is the way to life. Broad is the path to destruction. So Lady Wisdom in Proverbs stands on the corner and shouts to all who will listen, come and follow me. Come and follow the path of wisdom. God's people have always done this, and there have always come times in different nations' histories when they would not listen to the message anymore. Just the sound of the message would cause men to put their fingers in their ear, gnash their teeth, and try to throw you off a cliff. That happened to Jesus. They tried. Second Kings 24, 19, speaking of <coughs> Zedekiah, says he did... What was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. You remember, these chapters I said deal with two kings, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. 
both who were vassals by other nations placed on the throne, neither cared to do what the Lord was asking, what the Lord wanted of them. So because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out of his presence, and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So the Lord withdraws, the people rebel, and here in chapter 37, what do we have? We have Nebuchadnezzar and his army outside the gates. We're back there, the siege. People are getting hungry. There's not a lot of food. You remember the story about the slaves? When they turn their slaves loose, this is all going to happen in this time period in chapter 37. So verse 3, King Zedekiah sent Yehukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Maaseiah, to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, please pray for us to the Lord our God. So they're asking Jeremiah for prayer. Now these guys that the king sends are no friends of Jeremiah. In a few verses, one of them is going to vote for him to be put to death. So these are not fans, the people who go to talk to Jeremiah. They're, they're no friend. They're not trying to uh, um, further his, his uh, mission. They're not about any of those things. But they've made a petition for prayer. Pray for us to the Lord our God. And I think they're looking for... They're looking for a miracle like the miracle that happened under Hezekiah. Now, you remember Hezekiah, that's northern kingdom. Hezekiah, or Hezekiah is in Judah, but it's under the conquering of the northern kingdom. So when, so when <coughs> excuse me, Assyria conquers Israel, they come down to Judah. Hezekiah, remember he lays out the issue before the Lord. Here's what they're saying. Shennacherib says he's going to destroy us. Everybody's going to die. It's like a scene from the movies, right? The, the messenger rides in with all the heads of kings hanging off of his saddle. These kings, they all thought their God was going to deliver them, just like you think your God will deliver you. Hezekiah prays. One night, the Lord delivers Assyria. 185,000 soldiers are killed. They wake up in the morning, and the army is basically gone. So these guys are looking for a miracle like that. Now it's Nebuchadnezzar out there. And they want Nebuchadnezzar to just go away. So they're saying, they're, saying, they're asking, they're pleading that Jeremiah would, uh, would pray for the people. Please pray for the people. Pray to the Lord our God. Verse 4. Now, Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people, for he had not yet been put into prison. And the army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt. And when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard the news about them, they withdrew. So you remember, something happens. They're asking, Jeremiah, pray for us. Then basically they wake up one morning and the army's leaving. And they make a, they make a, a pledge. You remember the pledge? We're going to set all our slaves free. And then a few days later, they decide to re-slave them all. So they let them go. They were, that was the promise breaker chapter. We saw that in... 35, 34. So that's happening. Jeremiah still has freedom to go in and out. He's not locked up in prison. The Egyptian army comes, the Chaldeans leave. And the attitude of the nation at that moment, maybe they think the miracle has happened. Maybe they think, hey, this is, this is all good. Everything's good. And so we know that Pharaoh Hophra 
in uh, 85, 88, comes out, Nebuchadnezzar leaves, conquers Egyptian army, comes back to Jerusalem, continues the siege, and conquers Jerusalem in 587. So you're one year from the end of Jerusalem altogether. This is what's happening in this moment. <clears throat> so it says in verse 6, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So they're saying, Jeremiah, pray. These things are all happening. It looks like the army's going. Verse 6, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord God to Israel. This is what you shall say to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt, to its own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city. They will capture it and burn it with fire. So on one hand, they think, hey, things are shifting. Look, the army's leaving. But Jeremiah's saying, uh, they're coming back. They're coming back. And this city will be destroyed, going to utterly conquer. Um, verse 9, the Lord goes on. He says, thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying, the Chaldeans <coughs> will surely go away from us. Because they will not go away. For even if you should defeat the whole army of the Chaldeans, even if you went out and you faced the Chaldeans and you defeated them and you wounded every man, and there remained among them only wounded men, every man would get up from his tent, rise up, and burn this city with fire. The Lord is saying through Jeremiah, there's nothing you can do this judgment is coming. There's nothing that can be done. Always prior, and for years prior to this moment, Jeremiah called for the people to repent. Jeremiah called and called. They've already been conquered twice, so the third time, three strikes and your, yeah, so the third time, that's it. So they're, they're, there, he called for repentance. He called for repentance. He called for repentance. Now he says the only thing left is judgment. It's interesting to me because in our nation today, and one of the things we talked about on Sunday with the idea of the, the return, which is a call for a solemn assembly gathering of believers in Washington, D.C. that will pray and repent and, and cry out for mercy of the Lord which is very similar to what Jeremiah was saying to the nation over and over and over and over again. Repent, repent, repent. But you need to understand there comes a point where God stops calling for repentance. And he just says, all that's left is judgment. I think it's kind of funny, the watching the news. It's not really funny. It's not funny, ha-ha. It's like weird. Watching the news and seeing all the fires on the West Coast and, and hearing all the people's excuses for why there are fires. <laughs> and the, it was similar when it was all the people's excuses as to why there is a pestilence. And then all the excuses as to why there was the sword. You remember the sword, right? All the riots over and over, 100 and some days straight in Portland of riot after riot after riot after riot. 
and this is Trump's fault, or this is their fault, or the mayor, or whoever, all, everybody's pointing their finger at somebody. So you are living through a period of time of God's judgment. The reason why you have pestilence is because God said, if you turn your back on me, if my people turn their back on me, they give me the back and not the front, he says, I will send three things. Pestilence, sword, famine. He says, that's the three things I'm going to send to say, hey, wake up. What are you doing? Wake up. And if a people will not repent, then all that's left is judgment. Surely you have heard before that the United States is absent in prophecy. And we try to come up with all the excuses as to why. The favorite one is everybody in the United States is raptured. <laughs> so that's my wife. She's very positive. <clears throat> she just has to be saved first. Um, the, the, but, you know, we, we look at it and we look at our circumstances and the things going on around us. And I can't help but hear the echoes of Jeremiah, of Isaiah, of Ezekiel, of the Old Testament prophets calling on the people to repent. And the church's problem is the church thinks it's them out there that need to repent. And God never says for the, the wicked are wicked. We're not shocked by the wickedness of the wicked. God is calling for judgment to begin where? Yeah, judgment begins in the house of God. When my people who are called, how? By my name, humble themselves and pray. Not them, us. We. You read Daniel the prophet, and what do we see from Daniel the prophet? Daniel, when he reads Jeremiah, and he, he realizes the 70 years <coughs> is almost finished, what does he do? He gives an incredible prayer of repentance. From Daniel, one of the characters in the Bible of whom not one sin is mentioned. I'm not saying he's sinless. I'm just saying the Bible doesn't tell us any. Most of the heroes of the Bible, we know their failures. David and, see, you guys even know, right? But you don't have a Daniel and story. Yet Daniel is repenting. Daniel is calling on the Lord for forgiveness. For, forgive me. That's what Daniel's saying. Forgive me. He also says, forgive our nation for our disobedience. This is the call. And, you know, we can comfort ourselves a hundred different ways. Just, if you're looking for comfort, call Kathy. She's got all the comfort words. If you want reality, call me. And I will tell you about doom. <clears throat> but here's what, what we need to understand, right? And here's what's, what's interesting about the, the call to, to, to this solemn assembly. So there's, they're calling for 18, or 10 specific days of prayer from, from the 18th to the 28th when they're going to have the solemn assembly. So I'm calling for all those who are willing to fast from the 18th to the 28th. 10 days, you do the fast you want to do. But I'm calling for people to fast from the 18th to the 28th to cry out in an attitude and prayer for repentance 
from us, Lord. Forgive us. We, our nation didn't get here because we were so holy. Our nation got here because we were asleep. Or we didn't care. Or we isolated. Or I don't care what, 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 where you want to put the blame. But there certainly is some that should land on our shoulders. Ten days of repentance. Ten days of fasting. Seeking the face of the Lord. Because maybe this is it. Maybe this is the last time God's going to call the people to repentance. Right? Maybe this is it. And I'm not, I, I try not to ever preach politics. I'm probably getting closer than ever this year. But what I will preach is repentance. Hearts and eyes to the Lord. I will also say, I should be quiet. Is that you, Lord? <laughs> In my opinion, there is one candidate who is seeking biblical wisdom. He may not be a believer. He may not be a good king. I can promise you that everybody who's running for office is a wicked man. I know that because I'm a wicked man who has been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't pretend to know, I'm not in inner rooms with anybody. I don't know anything. But I know there's one guy who is at least having poured into his ears from biblical counselors, counselors, biblical precepts, who is open to it. There's only one. So we need to be in prayer. It may be that the Lord will do something totally different. Hallelujah. But whatever God's going to do, it's going to be predicated on a Nineveh-like revival that pours through the United States of America. And that's what we're praying and fasting for. So if you join me in it, that's great. If you don't, pray for us. Pray that, uh, that the Lord will move in our nation and open the hearts of, uh, of men and women that they might uh, soften their hearts. Not what I'm watching on YouTube where everybody's uh, fighting the preacher, but where people rather will repent. Now, some are. There, there are little revivals springing up here and there. So there's little things happening. Um, you know, in California, there are several guys that had talked about baptisms at the beach, over a thousand people. So praise the Lord. That's good. That's a start. We need more, right? So we as his people, we need to pray. In verse 11 it says, Now when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to Benjamin. <clears throat> so this event happens. The, the Chaldeans leave. Jeremiah says, hey, they're not gone. They're just gone for now. So Jeremiah, the, the people here, you know, the king gets that message, whatever. And uh, they do the slave thing, right? Let the slaves go, bring the slaves back. I don't know the time period between. I just know that event happens while chapter 37 is going on. The other one that happens while chapter 37 is going on is you remember the deal where God tells Jeremiah in prison to buy land? Do you remember? He buys land. Well, the land he buys is where he's trying to go in the middle of 37. In the middle of 37, 37, 11, or 30, uh, verse 12, says, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin, 
to receive his portion there from among the people. <laughs> he goes because he has heard that there's a family member who has land that needs to be redeemed. And so he's going to meet with the family. It's like a family meeting, right, of the, of the clan that Jeremiah is a part of. He doesn't get to go. Jeremiah doesn't know yet that God wants him to buy the land. That happens when he's in prison. But he's trying to head that way, and he runs in to somebody who has a different idea for him. We can read about that title deed to the property in Jeremiah 32. If you guys, want, if you remember, we discussed it. Uh, part of the promise of God that the people would one day return to the land was Jeremiah buying land in the midst of this conquering by Babylon. So in verse 13, it says, When he was at the Benjamin Gate, that's what they would call the gate, the gates are named based on the road leading to whatever the next city is. So if they left the Damascus Gate, where does that road go to? Damascus. If they leave the Benjamin Gate, where does it go? Benjamin. See, it's not complicated. You guys got it already. So he's at the Benjamin Gate, a sentry there named Erija. I can't, that name is hard. Sorry, guys. And the, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, uh, they seized Jeremiah the prophet and said, you are deserting the Chaldeans. So they think he's headed to the Babylonians. Remember, the Babylonians are gone. They left. And so he's thinking, I'm going to go take care of some family business down in Benjamin. And uh, Jeremiah says, no, it's a lie. I'm not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Elijah would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah. So they beat him. And they imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary because it had been turned into a prison. So he's not in an official prison. He's in a prison, they, some guy's house that they made into a prison. Scripture's going to tell us later that they, they're throwing him, throwing him down in an area <clears throat> that was a cistern. Big hole in the ground, full of water. But probably because of the extended siege, the water levels are really low. And so they could use a cistern for a prison. If you've come with us to Jerusalem before, we've seen something similar at Caiaphas' house, or what they call Caiaphas' house, where they have an area that was used as a prison. Some say it may have housed Jesus awaiting his trial in the morning. So, it says, when, uh, when Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there uh, many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. So, Bible speak for many days is, uh, I don't know how long he was there. Long time. Many days. Not a few days. So, he'd been there a while. Listen, Jeremiah, from this point, chapter 37, till the conquering of Jerusalem will never be out of prison again. So this moment when he gets put into prison, he never comes out of prison until Nebuchadnezzar conquers the city. And then he's let out of prison. So his voice among the people is being silenced, right? The people are angry at him. Why? Because he's telling them the truth. Does anybody want to hear the truth? I mean, the overwhelming sense that I get, regardless of what conversations you're having, you're having nobody wants to hear the truth as soon as you speak truth uh there is 
and uh, irrational response of unmitigated anger that doesn't seem like it's like why are you so mad I've had these conversations with people on the sidewalk and greater now but the 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 This, this attitude that's just so festered within them that it, at the slightest provocation just erupts. All this stuff. So that people maybe a few months ago sitting in their house, in their living room, around a fire, discussing life, and you said, you know, there's going to be a video of you in a few months throwing a Molotov cocktail into a building. No. I would never do that. There's, there is this shift that is, that is taking place. This, this um, I, don't, I don't know a better way to say it than uh, it seems demonic. I'm not saying everybody's demon-possessed, but it certainly seems demonic what's going on in the world today. So, like that, Jeremiah is locked up in prison. We don't want him talking. The king says, I, I want to talk to him secret. I want a secret meeting with Jeremiah. So, the king questioned him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? <laughs> I would be tempted to say, You have not listened to any of it yet. I'm pretty sure the Lord don't have a new word for you if you, don't, if you ignore everything. There's no new word. We're, we're stuck on the same word. But Jeremiah says, yes, there is. <laughs> the new word from the Lord was the same as the old word. He said, you shall be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon. You remember? The Lord said that Zedekiah was going to see the king of Babylon face to face. But Ezekiel the prophet said, Zedekiah is never going to see Babylon. But Jeremiah said Zedekiah is going to go to Babylon. But we remember how that works out. He stands face to face with King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him king. Nebuchadnezzar will kill all his sons before his eyes and then gouge out his eyes and take him to Babylon. He'll never see Babylon, but he'll be in Babylon. And he will die in Babylon of old age. This is what the Lord said would happen. This is what, and this is the word. So the king pulls Jeremiah out of prison. His, his answer hasn't changed. It doesn't matter how many times you ask the question. There is only one way to righteousness. There's only one way. You can keep saying, well, has God changed his mind? I mean, we've been rebelling for a long time. Maybe God has designed a new way. No, no new way. There's no new way. That's why it's so important to understand that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to righteousness, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For Zedekiah, there was the way of righteousness, which he did not choose. He chose the way of rebellion. Is there a way to get off the path of rebellion? While I'm rebelling. No. 
You're going to Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to stand before him face to face. Verse 18, so Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, What wrong have I done to you and your servants or this people that you have put me in prison? So Jeremiah has a question for the king. Jeremiah's answers haven't changed. But he wants to know from the king, why am I in prison? What, what? I got beaten and thrown in prison. I've been here many days, and I'd just like to know what I'm charged with. Do you think that only happens in the ancient world? The reason why there are people in our nation that cry out that, that we are uh, systematic racists is because this still exists. It's wrong. It's unjust. It's against the Constitution. And there are enough cases that it's alarming. I know of one of a young man, 16 years old, that was, that was charged with stealing a backpack. And I think he did six years in Rikers prison before he was ever charged in the United States of America. Because nobody cares. Now, that's what infuriates or inflames the passions of others who go about the wrong, you know, the wrong way. But that's why, that's why there are people who want to burn down buildings and scream and, and do all the things that they're doing. Because that really exists. That's not just a story. That really exists. That young man got set free, was supposed to get a, a, a big settlement from the state. And uh, prior to getting a big settlement from the state he hung himself his mother fought in his name hoping the lawyers hoped they could get her the estate the state stalled and she she was not in good health she died of a heart attack within a year nobody cares that's real that's unjust we are guilty that doesn't mean everyone's a racist it just means that there are problems in the system, right? We look at Jeremiah and we think, oh, well, that could have happened back then. That's the days of middle, you know, pre-middle ages. That's a long time before middle ages. But, you know, they had the same rules. You're supposed to be charged. I've been in here many days. What am I here for? The Bible says... If you sow to the wind, you will reap the whirlwind. Or if you sow to the wind, you'll reap the tornado. We've been sowing to the wind a long time as a nation. And if you look around, we are reaping a tornado. It's just harvest time. What do you know about harvest? If you plant a seed, whatever comes in harvest is greater than the seed you planted. The responses 
the hatred, the vitriol, the division. There's one thing that heals all of that. There's one thing that would have healed the heart of that young man who didn't know how to deal with, uh, you know, all the stuff. All, all the stuff he endured. You know, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, that that guy was good, nor am I saying you're good. I'm just saying that's not the way it's supposed to go down. Right? We're supposed to be a land of law. And if it's wrong for them, it's wrong for anyone, right? Should not happen. Should not be a part. But we have this attitude in our nation that needs to be healed. And there's only one healer. There's only one person who can do it. Praying that God will grant repentance to a nation. That's a vital, worthwhile thing to spend your time on. Facebook, I don't know. But praying that God would grant our nation a heart of repentance so we get our act together, man, that that is worthwhile. So Jeremiah says, why am I here? And then he asks the question, verse 19, where's your prophets? Why am I here? I told you that you were going to face this siege and they were going to conquer you. Your prophets lied to you and said they weren't going to come. You got me in jail and they're still out there. Why am I here? The king of Babylon, your prophet said, the king of Babylon will not come against you in this land. Now here, please, O Lord, let my humble plea come before you. Do not send me back to the house of Jonathan the secretary, <coughs> lest I die there. I don't think I can make it if you send me back there. Jeremiah asks Zedekiah for mercy. So Zedekiah gave orders and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard. You remember in chapter 32 where Jeremiah was when the word of the Lord came to buy the property? He's in the court of the guard. He's in prison, but he's not in a rickety old guy's homemade dungeon he's got guards he's at least got the chance to be fed even though the nation is under siege and there's probably not any food it says and a loaf of bread was given to him daily from the baker's street until all the bread of the city was gone now remember he's going to be there for a full year until the conquering of the city so jeremiah remained in the court of the guard so he's going to be there until 587. Nebuchadnezzar's going to cut him loose. Nebuchadnezzar's going to make him an offer. Man, why don't you retire, Jeremiah? You should retire and come to Babylon. I'll take good care of you. And Jeremiah is going to say, no. These people need somebody here to give them the word of the Lord, even if they won't listen. Our nation needs people who will give them the word of the Lord, even if they won't listen. It's not your job to make them listen. It's your job to sound the trumpet. If you see the enemy coming and you don't sound the trumpet, Ezekiel said, their blood is on my hands. 
if I see the danger coming and I sound the trumpet and they ignore me, their blood is on their hands. God's calling his people to be his voice. Remember John the Baptist? What, what did the prophets call him? A voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord. What's that mean? Make it so people know where to go. Because narrow is the way that leads to life. But broad is the path that leads to destruction. May we, as those called by his name, take up our responsibility in these coming days. And kick the darkness till it bleeds the light. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we can spend together, Lord. We thank you for the book of Jeremiah. Lord, you knew long before these days were upon us what book we would be in and what we would be studying in these times. You are a sovereign king. And your purposes, God, are beyond our understanding. I don't have to know how everything comes together and how everything's going to work out. What I have to know is, what do you want me to do? So, Lord, may we, with one voice, united as a church, cry out to our great God and Savior to save our land. May we be driven to be serious about it. Set our eyes, our heart, our desire for 10 days. May you prepare our nation for revival. May you soften hearts. May you grant your spirit without measure to the warriors standing on street corners around the world who are crying and calling for repentance. And may you soften the hearts of the rebel that he may respond. May you bring revival. May you revive me. May you revive us. May you revive our city, our state, our nation. For those who will not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And we study throughout the Old Testament this hard-hearted, stiff-necked rebellion of the nation of Israel, and we wonder to ourselves, what is wrong with them? Next time we say that, we should look in the mirror. What is wrong with me? So God, pour out your spirit. And when we, as we, bow our knee to you, Lord God, as our king, may it not be said, as Jesus said in Matthew, why do you call me king and not do the things I say? But rather, may it be that we are reporting, Lord, here I am. 
send me. Be glorified in this place. Be magnified as we turn our heart and eyes toward you. We lift this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.